our scripture for today is 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, it's good to be together, and last week at the very beginning, I shared about uh, us asking for prayer for Patty, my wife, and we were getting ready to, uh, she's just had a lot of chronic pain that's lasted for eight, eight plus months and just been really extreme and anxiety connected to that, and we, uh, we applied for the third time to the Mayo Clinic, and so we were praying like that it would be clear if we should do that or not. And so we got denied for the third time of accepting her case. And so we kind of accepted that as a, as a clear thing for now, at least. And so, uh, uh, but tomorrow we're meeting with her, just fam- with our family doctor to just say like, hey, let's come up with a, a new strategy of walking down this road. Uh, but Patty's here. So honey, it's, it's great to have you here and praise the Lord for that. So yeah. So there you go. And, and that's where, I mean, we, we don't pray without um, purpose uh, we, we're truly all looking to the one who orchestrates all things. And so, so however he deems to, to carry any of us is us looking to him for that. And so, so, yeah, we don't want our trust to be in doctors. We want our trust to be in medicine. We want our trust to be in the Lord and say, guide me to the doctor, to the medicine, to the direct healing, to, to whatever it is that, that you want to direct us to for this life. And so that's been our, our hope and our prayer in that. So. But uh, today we're second week of our Rediscover Church series, and so we preach expositionally from Scripture is how I would word it, which means uh, we're not going to just like open a book and be like, turn with me to chapter one and we'll read out loud. Um, There's some purpose in that, but what we always want to be doing is hearing from Scripture, and what we're hearing from Scripture today is from what Jesus's plan is for the leadership of churches, and what does it look like for churches to have leaders and being very cognizant, hopefully, that there are people who have been deeply wounded by leaders in churches, maybe be deeply wounded by a lack of leadership in churches, and everything in between. And so the hope is not to like eject the whole concept, but to come in a fresh way and rediscover, Lord, what is your design? How could we live out what you have for us in the the beginnings of this church? And as we move sacred mission from being like a church plant to to being a, a... just a, a church that Jesus is, is building for his purposes. And so as it relates to church leadership, I feel like Jesus has said so much and we have so little time this morning. And I've, this could easily be a 10-week plus series, um, just the qualifications of an elder that we'll look at. We could spend a week on each one and that itself could be three months long and be profitable. But for where I feel like the Lord has led us this morning is to say like, let's very intentionally look at the tip of the iceberg because that's significant, it's real, it's important, I think transformative for all of us. 
But there's so much more that we can go into of what has been revealed to us. And so for that, what I want to do is just say, like, if you're itching for that more and you're like, man, I, I'm, I'm very interested in this for whatever reason it may be, I just wanted to share some resources that I'm like, this will help guide you not away from Scripture but deeper into the verses and the words and, and all those things. And so, so Rediscover Church, this book is one that, that we've been kind of saying this is a good summer read to come alongside of our series that we're in. And their chapter called Who Leads is a really great introduction. So just to, to get your feet wet in, in post-COVID views of church, they, they very much wrote this in a post-COVID world of leery about gathering at all. Uh, in like a post Me Too and all of those things, or maybe not post, but in light of, of leadership abuses and should we even ever have a leader because of how abusive that can be or whatever, they do a great job in that. Um, if you want to kind of go a little deeper, uh, Bob Thune has written this great book called Gospel Eldership, and he's actually on our advisory team, and he is going to be committed to walk with our church through helping the, us raise up elders in our church. Uh, but this is a, just a very good book. Actually, just for anybody personally, it's a great, great book that leads you through some really important topics. Uh, this is a newer book, Elders by P.J. Smythe. And uh, he's from South Africa. He's in the U.S. now, but uh, started planting churches in South Africa and has raised up a bunch of elders and just a really helpful, practical book. Um, and then for the not light reading, but to really like take me super deep into this, uh, Biblical Eldership by Alexander Strach um, is, is just a really great book that will spend pages and pages on one word that's written about elders and stuff. And so, so I just wanted to... I don't usually do that, uh, but to give a little bit of lay of the land, and that's not an exclusive list or an exhaustive list, um, there's a lot of area, other areas too, but if you're interested in this or this piques some interest to say, I want to learn more about this, these are some excellent resources. But where we're going to go to get off the ground and what Jesus' design for a church is, is we're going to start in Titus chapter 1. Titus 1, verse 5. Um, it's a short book in the New Testament, but man, packs a punch. We're praying about going through Titus after this series. Um, Titus 1 says this, This is why I left you in Crete. Crete's an island. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So we're just going to stop at five there. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So we know that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was instrumental in planting a church in Crete. And Crete's an island that has towns on the island. And so we know that Paul was instrumental in starting this church. And then Titus became the lead elder or lead pastor of the church in Crete for a while. So all this isn't like pop, 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 like there's time for letters to be sent throughout the ancient world and stuff. Um, but so a church has been started with one elder. Uh, then for the church to be what it's supposed to be, to put what remained into order, Titus is to appoint elders in every town. And we're never in scripture given the number. <laughs> How many Never. 
um, age, never given that. We're never given an exact number, but we just know it's plural. Just know it's plural. In Acts 20, 17, uh, another, another place, uh, Paul is writing, and he's, or uh, it's, it's ex- explaining the, this early church, and it says, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. So there was a summons of the church of Ephesus, and all that we know is that a plural group of elders came from Ephesus. There was a time that Paul wept with the elders of the church of Ephesus. They had deep love for each other. And so, so just kind of a zoom out, part of this is, I'm using this word elder. Where is this word coming from? It, it's super interesting. It's got this really interesting of how that word was chosen as the English word. Uh, William Tyndale had a huge role in that, was burned at the stake for choosing some of the words that he chose. Uh, that's a totally side story that I can tell you privately if you're interested. It, it's worth a, uh, just crazy facts. But because what's happening is there are certain words, nouns, that are being used to describe this role in the church of elder, overseer, shepherd. Um, one word that's used, the word that's used here in Titus 1 is presbuteros. Titus was to appoint a plural team of presbuteroses. In Ephesians 4, though, is the word poimen, different word speaking of the same role in the church. In 1 Peter 5, that Carrie Ann was reading, it's the word episkopos. And all of those words describe the same office in the church, the same role in the church, but describe different facets of the role. So shepherding connected more to one word. Protecting connected more to another. Overseeing the church. Overseer is a word that you see uh, translated a lot, an English word. Um, But elder is the word that is typically used most in the English language. Um, So first, to rediscover church we see that Jesus designs his church to be led by a team. And, and I, I, I recognize that depending on if we came from a Baptist background, a Presbyterian background, a Methodist background, a Lutheran background, uh, we, we might be like, well, this isn't how I grew up. Or this is a way, and man, I'd love to have that conversation, and I'm not, I'm not trying to burn down those traditions, or I'm not trying to just say, oh, those are dead wrong, this is the way. Um, this is, I believe, the, the New Testament example, this is the, the way that we will, we will head into as a church for sacred mission, and preaching this confidently, but knowing that there, there has been some differences, and we can nuance why some of those groups have have organize the leadership of the church maybe differently, but, but in rediscovering church, Jesus designs his church to be led by a team. Now, question, what does the team do? <laughs> what does this team do? And so Ephesians 4, we're going to be jumping around a little bit today, but Ephesians 4, I think, is a, is a helpful aspect for us to, to really look into. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. And maybe you write these down, but you can, you know, if, um, if you're going to be distracted flipping around, feel free to relax and you can take it in here, but maybe jot it down and come back to it later. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all, attain to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So elders of a church are not the people at the top who everyone else is serving. It's not that. Elders are not the ones that we pay to do the work of the ministry. Man, that's what we pay you for. Like, that's not what an elder is. They're serving the church. Their role is to equip the saints. And you might say, well, I'm not a saint. None of us would call each other saints, probably. (laughs) Jesus calls us saints. Mind blown. You know, that's the magnitude of him taking our sin away, adopting us into his family, calling us brothers and sisters. He calls us saints. And the way that he envisions the role of elder and and the, the things that he's given to the church is that what their role would be is to serve the church. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life up as a ransom and as an, as, an, as an example. And so he's calling that the office of elder would be people who serve the church in a way that allows everyone in the church to be built up. At all, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And what I love here is that elders are not called to pick favorites. Uh, you know, those of you who have kids who are sports age, you know, like you view your kids as like you, you want them to succeed and, and you're really like hoping the coach sees in them what you see in them. And, and uh, you know, but like there might be some coaches that like they only pay attention to the starters and they only pour themselves into the starters. And then the people who are on the bench are like, does he even see me? Does the coach even value me? Do the other players just make fun of me or do they value me? Like things that are easy to question when you're on the bench, right? And what I love is in Jesus' economy in the most significant organization, and I use that word in a, the holiest way, in the most sanctified way, this, the most significant organization of people on planet Earth are led by people who are commissioned to say, your focus is on every single person. And your role is to serve them and equip them so that all of them can reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And he doesn't just say, I'm just going to be super efficient and we're going to have regional managers and these regional managers are going to, to dictate from a whatever, let's just be efficient here. He is so inefficient. God cares too much about us to care about efficiency. And what he says in every local church, every, you could drive by him at 65 miles an hour and be like, there's one, there's one, there's one, there's one. Every local church, he is transforming people's lives so that every single person in there can be poured into and equipped so that everyone with no one left behind could reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So a point here not to ever, and Lord, keep us from being a church that would be otherwise, um, is that elders are to equip all the saints in a way that everyone is growing. 
An elder just can't care about one area in the church. Man, I really, really care about our youth ministry. Period. Don't care about anything else. And it's like, well, it's great to care about our youth ministry. Incredible things are happening there. But that's not all. <laughs> that's, that's not all. We care about all. So elders can't just care about one area in the church or only one area in someone's life. Be like, well, I care about your finances. That's it. Go to somebody else if you, if you need you know, help in another area. I'll help you with your finances. Great. Like, awesome. <laughs> as the Lord raises up elders, um, the prayer is as he's raising up people to care about all the nuances of life that are important. Because all the, the, the nuances of life, they're all important because we're praying and serving a way for all of us to reach the fullness of him. So that requires the elders to lead in that way, but it also leans on everyone in the church to be led that way. 1 Peter 5, which is what Carrie Ann read this morning, 1 Peter 5 speaks to this beautifully, and it's one of those passages that I think that any elder or anyone aspires to eldership should be continually washing over themselves. And um, remember, this is written by the brash Peter, the Peter who's ready to, to cut someone's head off, and he misses and just cuts his ear off. Like, this is the brash Peter that's always ready for a good fight. And when you read it, you're like, sounds like he's been changed. It's like, yeah, he's growing in the measure of the stature of Christ. And so all of us are called, you know, to grow into these things. So 1 Peter 5, he writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. You even sense his humility there. Because he could have said, as one of the, the originals, as one of the first among equals or something. But he's like, I'm, I'm, I follow Jesus like everybody else. The ground is level here. And um, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when, not if, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Jonathan Lehman, in, um, he writes some of the chapters in the Rediscover Church book. Um, he wrote this kind of off of these, these passages. He said, an elder says to his church, let me teach you the way of the cross. Now watch me walk it. Here's how you endure suffering. Here's how you love your children. Here's how you share the gospel. Here's what generosity and justice look like. Let me show you how to be valiant for the truth and tender towards brokenness. In no one does this perfectly. <laughs> Only Jesus can do these things perfectly. No one does these things perfectly, um, but should be Christ-like. 
I, I see Christ-likeness in you. Like when you look at Peter even writing that, it's like, man, I see him being more Christ-like than if I just probably saw Peter the day that he first met Jesus. So, so that's kind of what we're looking at, like the when of, of leadership in the church. We're looking at like... Um, kind of like what, what that looks like, what it's going to be like from Ephesians 4. And then now, like a big question is just who? Do we just be like, you, 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 and you? Like, like who, who should we look for in raising up elders? Uh, is it the most successful businessmen in the church? You know, let, let's, let's just go straight to the biggest people who give the most money because we don't want to make them mad. So let's just uh, have the people who give the most money be in charge. Make everybody happy. That always works. <laughs> um, should it be uh, the most popular people? And thankfully, we have several places in Scripture which speak to this, and we'll just look at two areas this morning. Once again, we could preach a sermon on every other word in here. Um, but Titus 1, coming back to Titus 1, we'll start at verse 5 again and then move through the text here a little bit. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, or that literally it means a, a one-woman man, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Verse 7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And man, there's a ton we could say about this. One observation that has been made just by, by many uh, coming off of this is it doesn't say a lot about skill. How good are you at being a pastor or whatever? It doesn't say a lot about skill. It doesn't say must be able to captivate a crowd of thousands, must have comedic timing that's just precise. Almost all of the qualifications are about the character of the elder. Who, who they are in their DNA. Like, so, so much of it is about the character of an elder. Above reproach. Is it, is it hard for you to think of things to criticize them about? Or is it like, man, I could give you a super long list, you know, or whatever. Or is that the truth in your community? Are they above reproach? Um, not arrogant. Not quick-tempered. Not a drunkard. Not violent. Not greedy for gain. And once again, you might be like, well, would anybody meet all these qualifications perfectly? Is there, a, is there a person out here who meets all of these, you know, do I love good all the time? And a lover of good is, is so simple, but it's so powerful. Like, man, if just in our community we would hate what is evil and truly love what is good, no matter who gets the credit, you know, I was talking to my son about this. He's like, man, when I'm like waiting to get in at a, at a sporting thing, like it can be easy when, when like another player on my team is, is doing poorly to be like, oh, this is, 
This is going to work out good on my behalf, you know. I'm going to get put in to do this, whatever. Or when one of them's doing, doing really well, to be like, oh, is that at my expense? <laughs> um, and I'm like, buddy, it's in my heart all the time. <laughs> doesn't matter what you're a part of. That's a part of our bloodstream, is, is experiencing something like that. And, and to say, like, for the Lord, to, I will never perfectly be a lover of good. But for the Lord to be moving in us where, Lord willing, that characterizes a person. is like, man, I've seen where they've gone. They're growing and loving what is good. They're growing and being self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. We'll briefly look at another list, uh, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Right before I read 1 Timothy 3, remember that these are letters written to new churches that are off the ground and they're looking to raise up elders, and they're in different places, and they're not like, hey, I'm going to text you over a PDF of the entire Bible, right? So like when someone gets the letter of Titus, the, the church over here in Ephesus doesn't have that yet, or might not see that yet. So then another list is being written over here, and these lists are not exactly the same, which I find refreshing, because it's not like, to a T, it must be one, two, three, and four. It's like, here's character, here's character, here's this, here's this, and you start seeing like, okay, this is more art than science, and it's showing a picture of a person who is walking with Jesus, okay? And so 1 Timothy 3, starting verse 1, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he, be, how will he care for God's church? Verse six, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he might not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So in this list, there are two qualifications specifically that we see that are outside character ones, and that is able to teach. So that sometimes may narrow. So there's a teaching gifting that those who are being called into the office of elder might have that might not be given to to uh, other people in the church, uh, then not a recent convert, which is in verse six there. But so outside of those two, here's my hope in my heart. Outside of those two things is that we would all see these lists as not being a list just for a small group of people in the church. I, I, I pray against that. I, I pray that what we'd see is that these are lists for every one of us, for all of us. These are qualifications. These elder qualifications are really marks of a mature Christian. These elder qualifications, my prayer is that it, they would be, that's what we are desiring for all of our kids to look like when you look at their character. This is what we're looking for, for all of the women of the church to look like. This is what we're seeing as being uh, marks of mature Christians, of like, Jesus, yes, 
I want that. Yes, I see that. Thank you. And an elder must meet those qualifications and must be qualified, must be characterized with those qualifications. But they are, and this is a third point to rediscover church here, is that elder qualifications are for everyone in the church. And those in the office need to be characterized by them. So these are not qualifications just for like, well, an elder needs to not be violent, but <laughs> let's be violent over here for the rest of us. Like he's like, no, like that should characterize all of us. And then before installing an elder, we need to look closely into everybody's life and say, is this person's life marked by violence? Or is this a characteristic that they have? And it's not to say like, well, then go away for the rest of your life. Shame on you. It says like, if, I, if you are still being called into elder, like that's a very intentional thing that we need to press into, lean into, come around as a church, pray into, and see the Lord give you power in that. Uh, and man, it'll be a victorious day when you're installed as an elder and be like, look what the Lord's done to get you ready for such a task as this. So what does this look like at Sacred Mission? Our aim is to head towards a plurality of elders. How many? Plural. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that's the, I think it'd be foolish to say anything other than that. Plural. Lord, would you raise up a plurality of elders? Prayerfully, we will seek to spend time looking into the lives of those who, are, who seem to be being raised up into this office. Next week, we're focusing on deacons. So we'll see that some people who maybe are like, hey, maybe I'm an elder, and it's like, actually, I think the more that we step into this, you, I think the Lord's leaning you into deacons, and we'll look at the life of Stephen and powerful, beautiful things there. Um, in no way should someone stepping in the role of an elder be a shock. <gasps> wow, I don't even know that person, you know, walks with Jesus. Like, it should be like, oh, they weren't already an elder in our church? I'm kind of confused. I thought they were maybe because I've, I've seen them stepping more and more into where it feels like they're living out these things in the life of the church and the spirit. Like it should never feel like a surprise. In no way is it the top rung of the ladder. In no way. If we ever get to where like, well, the super Christians are the elders, it's like that is, that is not what Ephesians 4 talks about, it is, it is not the top rung of the ladder. It's not the exclusive community in any way. It is a calling into the life of a church that the Lord is going to call all of us into things, and he will call some into the office of overseer. He will call most not into that, which is, I think it's very important for us to see that those lists are not just, just for a few people in the church. Um, the process will look different for every person. So we should never have where it's like, I've, I've gone through an elder process where it, for over a year, we met every week, over a year, just pouring into these books, praying, learning in a fresh, rediscovering the role of elder in the life of the church for over a year. And then some of the guys got installed right away. Other people were installed two years later. Because of things where they're like, hey, here are a few things that I want to see characterized in my life and the life of my family before stepping into uh, such a, a beautiful place. And so um, uh, our we have an advisory team of elders like Bob and, and others who have committed to say, like, we will walk with you guys every week as a church. And then when we start seeing a plurality of elders, we'll start backing away a little bit. And so... Uh, so our advisory team will work closely with me, and then we'll listen very closely to everyone in the church 
and uh, the people who will become elders at Sacred Mission, the prayer is, is that it will be a beautiful day in the life of our church and a celebratory day for what Jesus has done to take us to a new place. And my prayer is that by this time next year, we have a plurality of elders. Or if we don't, it's like right around the corner by, by this time next year, Lord willing. And one other thing about that is the love and the unity of the elders of a church will be the love and unity of the church. Now that sounds like, oh, I could poke so many holes in what you just said. But let me just say, if the elders of a church are in huge conflict, hate each other, and, uh, and it makes them want to throw up in their mouth to be in the same room with each other, the church isn't going to be like, man, we've never been healthier. It's just the, the, the love and the unity, once again, we've talked about this a lot, not uniformity, but unity. Unity in the midst of difference. The love and unity of the elders will be the love and unity of the church. These should not be adversarial relationships. Uh, Paul, I mean, you see all throughout the New Testament, these should be people who deeply love each other. They shouldn't just be a group of friends, like, oh, that friend circle, I'll get to be installed as elders together. They shouldn't just be just a friend circle, but they should love each other deeply, care for each other, and want to do ministry shoulder to shoulder, and want to walk together for a lifetime, leading Jesus' church as Jesus is leading us. Just a few implications for every single one of us as, as we wrap up our time this morning. Just a, every single one of us. First, do you aspire to be an elder at Sacred Mission? Now, I could go deeper into it, but I do believe in Scripture that this... Um, I'm not trying to open a can of worms here, and I, I would love the opportunity if this brings a lot of passion in you, is I believe that God has called us to be a male-only role. Not because women are unable or would do a terrible job. Don't believe that at all. But I believe that he has called this to be a male-only role. Um, and you'll see, like we have women leading all over the place in the life of our church. Uh, you see that on the stage, which is very intentional. You, you see that in many places in the church. So I'm not saying like women are only in kids' church or nowhere and Jesus doesn't value them or whatever. All that's garbage. Women are called, uh, most men are not called to the office of elder. <laughs> so most men and most women will not be called to the office. But if you are called to it, it is healthy to aspire to that. So what I'm saying is, if you feel called to that, let me know. Maybe you're like, maybe this is 10 years from now. I don't know. But man, my heart comes alive when I think about that. And I think about walking shoulder to shoulder, overseeing and leading a church. And do you aspire to it? And then will you pray? Would all of us pray for this process? This, if this is a process of man and human thinking, it will be a bad process. <laughs> If the Holy Spirit is directing a group of people into an office, it will be beautiful, uh, even with the warts and all. And so, so will you pray for it? Will, will you pray for it? Will you walk into it? Um, maybe you realize, man, I'm going to have to make major changes in my life. For me, if people look closely, I'm going to have to make major changes. And it's like, good, that's Jesus going after all of us. Like, he wants all of us to reach the full measure and stature of Christ. And so, so maybe you need to make major changes and don't do that in isolation, don't do that alone, let's do that together. And maybe what it means is you need to become a Christian. You need to give your life to Jesus. I had, I had 
feelings of being a part of church leadership even before I'd met Jesus. Like, I just felt like, and, and I'm not a, the type of personality that, like, I have to be in charge of everything. At least I don't think that that's hardwired inside of me. Um, but, like, even if you're like, man, that kind of sounds interesting. Maybe I should become a Christian and start following Jesus. Like, yes, I would amen that heartily. So, do you aspire to be an elder at Sacred Mission? Will you pray into it? Secondly, would elder qualifications direct your life and the life of those around you? So here's what I'm saying with this. Is if like one of my daughters is like, hey, I'm really interested in this guy and I'm you know, thinking about marrying them. <laughs> so we haven't had those conversations yet. But like, um, if like that conversation starts up, where I'm going is would this person be qualified to become an elder in the church if God called them? And if it's like, well, no, but they don't know Jesus or they're violent, <laughs> they're very greedy, they hate what is good, they love what is evil, I'd be like, let's uh, steer somewhere else in our conversation. You know, invite that person to church, befriend, befriend them, Keep your circle of people who are walking together with Jesus, keep that around. Don't push them away, but don't date them or marry them. Like, that's letting qualifications of elder, which is qualifications of a mature Christian, direct your life. You know, like, uh, uh, Silas and I have had this question. It's like, what if the Lord called you to, like, be in the NBA? And, uh, and, and you were going to make $15 million a year. But if you were called to it, you couldn't become an elder in a church. You basically would have to be on the way back bench of the church for the duration of your career. And I would say like, hey, I would be so for you writing a contract for an NBA team, but you just have to say like, okay, hey, I'm a member of, or like, if the Lord called you, once again, if the Lord called you to be an elder of a church, maybe you're there on Saturday nights, maybe Sunday mornings, you, you have a special deal with the team where you fly back to be able to be engaged in the life of the church. But if you could make it work, I'd say go for it. But if you're like, I would, even if God called me, I'd have to say no for 15 years or whatever, then I'd say like, it's not worth it. Uh, be in some other, so like, would you let that direct your life would you let it make decisions for you? Like, we could buy this house, and I could, or we could buy this house, and, and just be like, if the Lord called me, could I say yes? Or if the Lord called me, it would be a firm no for 20 years, or whatever it may be. And, and I think for all of us, like, man, it, it's, a, um, it's helpful for times like this. Third, what qualifications sound like you? And you're like, well, that's prideful of me to go down that road or whatever it may be. It's like, no, just honestly. You can ask your spouse if you can handle it. If you can't handle it, like just, or whatever. But ask a friend, ask people in your community group, or just, you know, ask the Lord and be like, by God's grace, knowing I'm not perfect, knowing only you are perfect, but I want to follow you, the perfect one, to lead me to the life that you've designed for me. Like, where can I say, huh, man, I'm, I'm not violent. I'm not as violent as I used to be. Uh, man, I've, I've changed a lot in the area of greed 
I, I still have an Amazon wish list or whatever it may be for if I encounter 10,000 extra dollars or something. But, um, man, overall, I'm not as greedy as I used to be. And thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you that you're alive and well and you're working in my heart. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for counseling me. Like, what qualifications sound like you? Fourth, what qualifications don't sound like you? It's okay. We are not a finished product. If the Christian life was being a finished product and gathering and showing off your excellent finished product, um, Jesus would throw up in his mouth and we would, we would, something bad would happen. You know, we're not the finished product and if we were, we'd be in heaven. What a good question is, is what qualifications don't sound like me? It's okay. Jesus knows already. He, he knows those things even before we know them about ourselves. And he is passionately pursuing us. He, his, his love knows no bounds. And he's saying, I want all of those things to be true of you, in, for all of you, in all of your life. And that's how we become an embassy of heaven as we gather together and light shines from this place by being a bunch of broken people that are being made straight by Jesus and where we can just say, Lord, would you change me here? This qualification, it doesn't look like me at all and I want it to. I desire that. That's good. And I desire that in my life. It's okay. I'm not going to be fired from following Jesus. He doesn't work that way. He could have walked away from us a long time ago, and he doesn't. And we could say, Lord, would you change me right now in this area? And so, so that's where we're heading right now. It's like, Lord, would you change us? Would you change us to look more like this? If you're calling me to be an elder at Sacred Mission, would you, would you continue to change me to prepare me for that? to get me ready for that? Would I be changed as we continue to walk together? And one of the powerful ways that we do that is we come to him. We come to him and we say, change me. And it might be, change me by saving me. I give my life to you today. Start changing me in all new ways. I, I wanna be more Christ-like for the sake of my family, for my own sake, for the sake of my friends, be able to serve people in ways that you've designed me to serve people. So it might be change me, I give my life to you. It might be in a fresh way today, I'm giving my life to you. In a fresh way today, no looking back, forgetting what's behind, straining forward to what's, be, what's ahead, I press on. And I, I'm coming to you to do that, Jesus. Would you start leading me and directing me in a fresh way? And so, so as we do that, a very tangible way that he designed for us is to take communion. He said, hey, as you're coming to me, commune with me, and we, we do it together. And so we've got a couple people, I don't know if I know who's serving communion today, the McCords, um, and so they'll have uh, plastic gloves on, and when you come up, they hold your hands out, and they will break off the bread and say, this is Jesus' body given for you. And then you can take wine or juice, obey your conscience there, representing the blood of Jesus, uh, paying for us. And so what we'll do is I'll encourage you to spend a few moments in prayer, and then we'll come down the aisle, take the elements, remain standing, and we'll take it together as family. And if you haven't yet given your life to Jesus, I encourage you to do that now, and then come and take communion. We had a lady about a month ago that gave her life to Jesus, 
And then about 30 seconds later, got up and took communion for the first time as a follower of Jesus. She had communed with him, as her, as trusting her, him for her salvation, and then she communed with him as a, as a follower of Jesus. And so, um, so let's spend some moment communing with him, and then we'll come to the table, uh, take the elements, go back to your seats, remain standing, and we'll take it as family. Mm-hmm.